0: This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. If you saw an evangelist speaking in tongues, would you believe she was actually touched by a Holy Spirit? Or would you wonder if she was mentally ill? If you were an atheist and had a mystical experience of God, would you remain a non-believer? In his new book, Why We Believe What We Believe, Andrew Newberg bridges science, psychology, and religion to explore how the brain transforms our perceptions of the world into beliefs that create meaning, spirituality, and truth in our lives. Newberg is a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, one of the founders of the field of narrow theology and author of the best-selling book Why God Won't Go Away Andrew Newberg welcome to Weekly Signals
1: Oh thank you for having me on your program Well
0: well thanks for being here on Halloween I did <laughs> how, how are things going with that did uh, are uh, are your children uh,
1: we're getting ready. Yes, it is interesting because you know it, it often it, it obviously plays very deeply into our beliefs about so many different things. And uh, I was actually recently out in the California area, and I was reflecting on the fact that I was leaving on a plane that was leaving from gate thirteen, and I was seated oh. in row thirteen, oh. and I was getting a little nervous about what was going to happen. And uh, it, it's amazing how much our beliefs play into how we think. Things are going to happen in our world,
0: <laughs> right now. Now, is, is Halloween something you consider that we we believe in? Is there some belief attached to the? And, you know, how is that belief different than, say, believing in uh, uh, a, a god or a religion or
1: spirituality? Uh, well, I mean, I you know, certainly, uh, I mean, at this point, I guess Halloween has become much more of a kind of cultural little holiday. Um, but certainly, the belief in Uh, life after death and in ghosts and spirits and in things that bring you bad luck or good luck. Uh, Those are all beliefs. And, um, And how we decide to believe in something in particular, as I was just talking about, like with numbers, for example, part of the reason is that our brain is set up to believe in things, and it's set up in certain ways to believe in things. So, for example, we do have this quantitative ability in our brain to be able to look at things. Numbers are very important to us because they really help us to make some sense out of our world. And it makes sense to me that we would start to put certain importance on particular numbers, like 13, like 7, or maybe a lucky number that we would have. Uh, and then you know, the same thing with like black cats or breaking a mirror or whatever, all these things. If, they, if somebody did that or crossed paths with a black cat and then something bad happened to them, then that begins to build in to the beliefs that we have, and then we try to avoid certain things or, or go towards certain things or do certain things that we think are going to be beneficial to us. And that's that's a large part of what ultimately becomes our beliefs, our experiences, what people tell us, our perceptions of the world. All of these come together in our brain to help us tease out and interpret what's going on out there, what our world is all about, and uh, and how it works. And so we really we need our beliefs in order to help us to survive.
0: Yes, and what makes your... Research unique is you're trying to at least have some sort of measurement about how belief affects the brain. And it's a uh, process called tomography, is that right?
1: Uh, yes. Uh, well, there are a lot of different imaging studies that we can use. One of the most common ones that, that I have been using is something called uh, single photon emission computed tomography, or SPECT imaging, okay. and that looks at blood flow in the brain. The nice thing about a lot of these imaging studies, including this one, is that the more active a part of the brain is, the more blood flow it gets, and therefore we can use that to look at different beliefs. We can, look at it to, uh, we can use it to look at different practices like speaking in tongues or prayer or meditation and see exactly what changes go on in the brain itself and then figure out how that ultimately plays out in terms of the beliefs that we have. In fact, the original studies that we did on meditation and prayer were in many ways the impetus for the discussion about beliefs because I was fascinated by the fact that when I had a group of Franciscan nuns who were in prayer... And we saw changes in their brain that that they took that information and said, this is great. This is showing me how God has an interaction with my brain and its different parts of the brain lighting up. And thank you very much for helping me to understand how belief affects and how God affects me as a person. And there was another group of individual atheists who looked at the same piece of data, and they said, this is great. Thank you for showing us that it's nothing more than what's in your brain. (laughs) And... uh, and, and they took the same piece of information, but the belief systems that both groups had going into it had a lot to do with how they ultimately interpreted it. And, and we're all guilty of that. Or, or I mean, that, that is part of how we work. We, we tend to accept pieces of information that support our belief systems, and we tend to reject pieces of information that go against our belief systems. And that's true for religious beliefs. It's true for political beliefs. If you think about Democrats and Republicans, it's true for many conflicts that are going on around the world. That when people are – when there is a clash of belief systems, we tend to reject beliefs that or ideas that go against our belief systems, and we accept things that, that support them. And we accept people that support them. We tend to be with other individuals who – you know, if we're a Democrat, we like to hang around people who are Democrats. You don't want to hang around with Republicans all the time. You'd be having a battle all the time. Well, so, tell me
0: what it would mean if you wanted to hang around Republicans. <laughs> because there are people like that that le- – L- enjoy the confrontation. Enjoy the conf- yeah.
1: Well, that's true. I mean, we, there are, it, it, we all are built a little differently, and uh, I personally don't like seeing horror movies because I just don't like the feeling of being scared like that, uh-huh. but some people do. And, and I think that what happens is that it does have to do with how our brains are wired, and all of us are wired a little bit differently, that sometimes that kind of that thrill, that, um, that e- even if it's an antagonistic or uncomfortable thrill, so to speak, that that also releases certain neurotransmitters like dopamine in the brain that cause a bit of a, of a euphoric feeling. We feel good about it. It could almost be like a runner's high. Yeah. I and mean, I'm, I'm not going to run 20 miles, but for some people who do, they get these great feelings, even though it's a very stressful uh, situation for the person. So some people do uh, flourish with those kinds of responses. And, and I imagine that their wiring in the brain is a little bit different than somebody who says, gee, you know, I just feel really uncomfortable when I, whenever I engage in a conflict with somebody else. And, and, uh, and I would prefer not to do that. I prefer to, to have pleasant conversations and, and to yeah. feel good. So it's just, but, but ultimately where that comes back into play in terms of belief is the emotions that we have. And when emotions feel good to us, that helps to support our beliefs, and when emotions feel bad to us, that then we tend to feel that that's not supportive of our beliefs, and, and we're not happy with that situation.
0: Now, now the nuns went away feeling good, and so did the atheists. Is, right? Is there some sort of, uh, I guess you'd call this almost a biofeedback thing going on here, where, where they're using, yeah, they they could use this to try and create that sense that that same condition in their in their brain.
1: Absolutely, I mean one of the things that we do look towards in some of our new research is going to be exploring whether practices like meditation or prayer can actually have a long term benefit for people if they are doing them. Um, so it is possible that by looking at at a specific practice that that could have some kind of biofeedback effect, but also um, I, I think another thing that you're kind of alluding to with this biofeedback concept is just how we hold beliefs in the first place. Mm. One of the most important findings that we have now is that, that the more we focus on a particular belief, the more we think about something, the more that becomes our reality, the more it gets written into the neural connections in our brain. And that's why practices like meditation and prayer are are so well used and so widely used in religious circles and spiritual circles because you keep focusing on your idea about God, on what God is supposed to do in your life, about how your life should be, what a good religious individual should do. Uh, You celebrate the holidays. All these rituals keep reinforcing that. And that is part of how the brain works. And the same thing, you know, going back to the political issue, Uh, If you're a Democrat, then you tend to read things that support your way of of believing. And it is. It's a biofeedback thing because the way the brain works is that the more... uh, the, The statement that we like to use is that neurons that fire together wire together. And that's because the more you use something, the more those connections are established in the very, you know, small neural connections in the brain. And that's why, you know, with our imaging studies, when we show that certain parts of the brain are turned on through these practices... That's part of what is happening in those particular areas. That they are writing in these beliefs into the brain.
0: Uh, we're speaking with Andrew Newberg, and
2: the book is "Why We Believe What We Believe," and covering our biological need for meaning, spirituality, and truth. And and for me, uh, the 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 subtitle is: We have to be able we our brains have a certain minimum requirement, and is. Are you saying that th- this is part of our minimum requirement to have some sense of meaning and spirituality and truth?
1: Is- yes, uh, absolutely. And and what, what we're really talking about, though, on a very, very fundamental level is you know, we're, we're kind of trapped inside of our brain. We don't really know if all of our perceptions and all of our ideas about whatever is going on out there is accurate or not. But our brain works extremely well, in spite of that limitation, at providing us a sense of meaning, a sense of order out there, a sense of understanding about what our world is and how it works. And it's absolutely crucial for us to have that because otherwise we don't know how to act. We don't know how to behave. We don't know what to eat, what not to eat, who, what, you know, who to talk to, what parts of the city not to walk down. And, and I mean, all of these different beliefs that are very mundane for us, our brain needs to establish those so that we can survive. And Uh, And a lot of them are put into us very early on by our parents. They tell us what's right, what's wrong, don't go into the street and things like that. And those become our belief systems that help us to survive. And that's really, on a very fundamental level, what our brain is trying to do for us. Now, of course, since we have these incredible functions of the brain that we can really think about abstract ideas, about morality, about the ultimate purposes and meaning in life and so forth then all of that becomes even more relevant to how our brain works, and that's why we do have this built-in need to seek out information, to seek out understanding. It helps us to survive. It makes us feel better and more comfortable with our world because we know what we, we feel like we now know what to do. Uh, un- unfortunately, again, what, what we're finding out, though, is that, that the limitations of the brain make it much more difficult. A lot of the beliefs that we feel are are pretty solid, are often a lot more tenuous than we like to think, and that's that's also part of the the goal of the book that that we're trying to challenge people's beliefs and reg- and everybody's beliefs. I mean, there's no there's no one that is a, there, there there is no such thing as a non-believer. We're all believing in something, mm. and that's it's important for us to to recognize those beliefs, to recognize the biases, the emotions, the the things that make sense to us, and and to challenge those beliefs. And I think that that's helpful for everybody to continue to do that.
0: Did you do any scanning on people whose beliefs were being challenged?
1: Well, I, I think the closest that we came to that, uh, one of the interesting studies that we did was of an atheist who liked to, to meditate, and in particular had this kind of quirky meditation that they, he, he liked to meditate on, on, on the image of God. And uh, <laughs> he, not so much because he believed in God, he, he, he flat-out claimed to not believe in God, but the concept of God is a very loving thing as a, as a source of of health and energy and, and love was a very positive kind of symbolism. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but what was interesting was that when we looked at the response in his brain when he was doing that, because it was not consistent with his overall belief systems, it was not the same as the, the changes that we saw in the brain were different than what we saw in the Franciscan nuns who were doing prayer or some of our Tibetan Buddhist meditators who were doing meditation. Uh, in fact, one of the things that was kind of interesting was that a part of the brain called the frontal lobe, located right behind the forehead, that normally has been turned on. It's been increased in these practices, and I think that that's what helps to write in those beliefs based on those practices. But in in our atheist, uh, he did not activate the frontal lobes. In fact, his his brain demonstrated what might be considered to be a, a form of cognitive dissonance, so to speak. It's it kind of like he was trying something, but it wasn't agreeing with it. And uh-huh. brain activity was, was a little unusual in that regard. And it showed that he wasn't really able to attend to it and focus on it the way some of our meditators and, and, and uh, nuns were able to do. And I think that's because he just wasn't able to accept that. So we are seeing some evidence that it, it's a little bit of a different thing when you don't agree with certain ideas that don't he, agree with your beliefs.
2: It, it sounds like he was able to bring a certain um, academic discipline to what he was doing, but unable to kind of make an emotional connection. Is that a exactly. is that fair to say? Uh,
1: yeah, well, actually, in some ways it might have been the opposite. I think emotionally he kind of liked it, <laughs> but uh, okay. cognitively kept saying, no, you know, this doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> is there
0: so, any, way, um, any uh, way that would manifest and, and, itself at all? You know, was there any way that that would manifest itself? In other words, given, given that different frontal lobe readout right. would he be more uh, is, is what goes on in the frontal lobe I guess what I'm saying well, I,
1: one of the things that's very important for the frontal lobes is that uh, they tend to one, help us to focus our mind and mm-hmm. to focus our attention and I think that that was one of the things that he was having problems with is that he was trying to focus on something that, that didn't really gel with his way of believing mm-hmm. with a nun when she focuses on God that's very easy and, and they can concentrate and attend to that very clearly. Mm-hmm. But for him, he, he, it, was, it was like not making sense, I think, in some mm-hmm. regard, and therefore he had trouble with that. Um, the other thing, which, which is also uh, kind of a, an interesting finding, is that we, we do scans of the person while they are meditating, and we also do scans of them while they're just at rest, when they're not doing any practice. And he actually had the highest levels of activity in his frontal lobe when he was just at rest, compared, for example, to our nuns and our buddhas, uh, and what we what we think is going on there is that that is the part that helps us to direct our critical thinking and and help us to adjust our emotional responses to when we see a piece of information. So we think that that high frontal activity in this particular person might be associated with the fact that. He is very critical of religion. He doesn't think that it works. He doesn't think that it makes sense to him. And therefore, at some kind of base level, he's less willing to accept things that sound a little out there, so to speak, whereas uh, some of the people, like our nuns or our Buddhist meditators, they were much more open to spiritual ideas and much more open to to ways of thinking that, that incorporate a part of our world that we don't readily see and understand as well so um, and, and I think that that all, there's growing evidence that does show that our, all of us exist along a, a big continuum of what we 're willing to accept and what we 're not willing to accept, and those who are more critical and more negative about things uh, tend to be less believing in things that uh, you know that don 't make sense to them, whereas people other people might be more willing
2: I, I have a quick question, yeah. uh, maybe it 's not a quick answer, a quick question about uh, in your research. Have you been able to determine? How much of our brain, in terms of the of actual belief, is sort of hardwired? How much are we bringing sort of from our biological past into what we believe?
1: Well, I think it ultimately is a fair amount. I think what the way I tend to think about it, it, it always is this kind of nurture versus nature uh, dichotomy. And one of the things that I've often realized is that, that the brain does come with certain built-in functions it, it, on a very global level. So, like, for I example, mean, the easiest one to think about is language. So our brains are all designed to have a language center, but we don't have an English center and a French center and a Chinese center. That becomes, whether we speak English, French, or Chinese, depends on how we get brought up and what languages we are around that enable us to, to, to think about the world or to think about language in a particular way. But the brain is wired to enable us to think about language and in so doing has many different elements of language that are embedded in it. That we ha- Every language has nouns and verbs and so forth. So our brain has other functions that are like that. We have a, a what I like to refer to as the causal function in the brain that we look at things in terms of causality and what causes what to happen. And therefore, if we begin to use that causal function to help us develop beliefs about something, if its beliefs about the physical world, then that has to do with science and how things cause things to happen. Mm-hmm. If we look at uh, all of the, the whole, if we look at the spiritual realm, then that helps us to understand the notion of a god, which is the cause of all things. Uh, if we look at it from a, a humanistic perspective, it might help us to develop anthropology and social understanding and how we interact with each other. Uh, we mentioned numbers at the very beginning that mm-hmm. you know if there are that we have this quantitative ability. So we, we put importance on numbers, and then that becomes our beliefs. Now, what ultimately becomes each of our individual beliefs has to do with our environmental influences, our, our family, our, our parents when we're growing up, our, our friends and, and the people that we, our colleagues that we, we grow up with and, and develop with, uh, spouses and so forth. All of that will ultimately have a different influence, and that's, that's where we see the differences in all of our belief systems. Mm-hmm.
2: I wanna also I wanna ask you through your research, have you meditation and prayer, are these are we exercising our brains when we do that in addition to the sort of spiritual benefit that we get from it? And in your research have you been able to determine what ways in which we can in effect exercise our
1: minds? Uh, It's a very important question. Um, The the short answer is probably. uh, The long answer is that we're still doing some research to figure that out. But there is some evidence that suggests that the more that we do focus our minds, the more we attend to certain ideas, Uh, one, the more they become part of our reality, the stronger our beliefs come. But there was actually a very interesting study that was done that showed that people who were long-term meditators actually had thicker brains than non-meditators. And we are about to embark on a study uh, any day now, really, that is going to look at whether meditation will help improve memory in people, in in older individuals who are beginning to to develop some memory problems, maybe people with early Alzheimer's disease, and see if that kind of a practice really does strengthen the brain much the same way that it strengthens a muscle. Uh, One of the things that we do know, I think there has been a substantial amount of research that shows that if you practice something, that your brain does get better at it. I mean, that we all know just from our lives, but also that's been documented that, you know, if we keep working on practicing crossword puzzles, for example, we get good at doing crossword puzzles. But what we don't know is whether or not that would spill over into other functions and other abilities, and that's one of the things that we're going to be looking at. But I, I, think, I think it's very reasonable to, to look at the brain as a muscle in many ways and that the more that we utilize it, the more we focus, and, and the more practices like meditation or prayer that, we, that individuals do, if, if it goes in line with their belief system, can, can be a very valuable and very beneficial thing, not only for a spiritual purpose, but also because of how it may ultimately enhance the brain's function itself.
0: Has this research affected your beliefs at all? For
1: me, I've really been uh, – a lot of this has just been my whole journey of trying to understand you know, my beliefs, my beliefs about reality, my beliefs about what we can know to be true. And uh, so I guess in some senses it has that – I think I just continue to have a deeper understanding about how all these beliefs work and, and how uh, my own brain is working. Uh, but for me, in many ways, I think this has been what might be called a spiritual journey, if you will, that that trying to understand who we are as human beings and trying to understand uh, what what we need to do as human beings and, and how we make some sense out of that. And I think I'm, I'm getting, for me personally, I think I'm getting a better understanding of it. I still think that there's just so much for us to, to yet learn but uh, it, it, continue, it it never ceases to amaze me how incredible the human mind is, the human brain is, yeah. and yet how, how limited it is at the same time. So uh, it, it, it certainly always opens my eyes up and, and keeps me trying to be open to lots of different belief systems for myself.
2: It, well, I want to thank you very much for, for being here on Weekly Signals. The book is Why We Believe What We Believe, Uncovering Our Biological Need for Meaning, Spirituality, and Truth. Uh, website, real quick. Can you give us a, a website for your? Uh... Uh,
1: I'll give you two websites for for myself. Um, andrew all one word n e w b e r g dot com and uh, have some uh, some of my, uh, academic articles as well as discussions about books and things. And also our new center for spirituality and the mind, where we're doing uh, lectures and and research. If people are interested in, in following that, it's um, www.spiritualityandthemind Spirituality and the mind all one word.
2: Well, thank you, Andrew Newberg, for being on Weekly Signals.
1: Thank you very much for having me on your program.
0: To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar, and this
2: is Weekly Signals.